And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. What does it mean to imitate? And why is it important? If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be kind of straying off of Pastor Johnny's Rebuild series. He'll pick that up next week. We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In this chapter, Paul is talking to the people of Corinth and how they should live and what example they are setting for the people around them. He just comes off a very deep conversation about different types of food that can be eaten, uh, if it was cooked at a pagan sacrifice, all these different things, whether or not it's good to eat it or if they should reject it. He summarizes his point in the last few verses of chapter 10, and it gives us valuable insight into how we should act in our everyday lives. So if you were able, I would ask you, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and if you will join me, we'll be reading starting in verse 31. It says this, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Verse 1 says, Imitate me, as I also imitate Christ. Let's pray together. God, we come to you today just so grateful to be in your house, to have this time of worship, to come before your throne. God, I pray that you would be honored today in your word, that we would take what you would have us to hear, apply it to our lives, God, so that we can learn what it means to imitate Christ. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So these verses can be summed up in one very simple phrase. We are called to imitate Christ. Even when we don't feel qualified, even when it's difficult. And this morning, I want to break down why we should imitate. First of all, we imitate for the glory of God. Let's look at verse 31 again. Verse 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, to everything for God's glory. In this passage, Paul just finished talking about these dietary restrictions, and we could talk for hours and hours about what they thought they could and could not eat, comparing that to the Old Testament and going back and forth. He gave reason after reason about where and what the Corinthians should eat. He tied it all together, and he made one very solid point. Essentially, what Paul is saying here is we can split hairs all day about the mechanics of this. We can talk about all the intricate details, but at the end of the day, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. When you wake up in the morning until you close your eyes to sleep at night, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. We are imitating Paul as he imitates Christ. At no point in Jesus' life did he do anything that was not for the glory of God. We have to ask this question based on every decision we make. Will this bring glory to God? Everything we do. Paul didn't say, do the important things for the glory of God. Paul didn't say, do the churchy things for the glory of God on Sunday morning. He didn't say the opposite. Well, the meaningless tasks, we'll do those for the glory of God. Paul said, do everything for God's glory. And for those of you keeping track, the word everything, it means everything. 
there's no way of really mixing that up. Everything we do, that means where you go, it means who you talk to, it means what you say, what you choose to wear for the day. Am I going to put on sandals or rain boots? Do it for the glory of God. Do I eat a fruit bowl for breakfast or do I go get a bowl of cereal? Do it for the glory of God. Everything we do. Now, I know some of you might say that this seems ridiculous. God doesn't really care what shoes I wear. He really doesn't care what I eat for breakfast as long as it gives me nutritious value and I'm living a good life, I'm doing great. The truth is, it does matter. Now, I'm not telling you that we should be legalistic with this because that's something that a lot of people have a tendency of. Well, Paul wore sandals, Paul wore a robe, so that means we should wear sandals and wear a robe everywhere we go. Well, let's look at John the Baptist. He lived in the woods and he ate locusts dipped in honey. So that means we should live in the woods and eat locusts dipped in honey. If you want to go look for grasshoppers in your yard, then more power to you. But that is not what this is saying. When we imitate, we are looking at how our choices and our decisions bring glory to God. Just like Paul did, just like John the Baptist did, just like the apostles did. Are we letting the Holy Spirit guide us through the day? Or are we moving about based on what we think is the logical thing to do? Parents, are we making decisions about our kids that will bring glory to God? Something that I struggle with every single day. I've got four children. Are my decisions bringing glory to God? How I discipline my kids, how I raise my kids, is it bringing glory to God? Are we provoking our children to anger? Children, youth, are you treating your parents in such a way that God is glorified in the end. Are you being disrespectful? What about your teachers? What about your classmates? Are you bringing glory to God with your actions? Adults, do we enter work every day with a poor attitude? Or do we go in ready to honor God? If you go in prepared to have a bad day, you're probably gonna have a bad day. But if everything you do is to bring God glory, it means even the meaningless tasks of sitting at your desk, the mundane, day-to-day -day things, should bring God glory. Let's look at some of the things that Paul prioritized in his life. After studying through different books of the Bible and reading some of the different passages that Paul wrote, and he wrote quite a bit, the majority of the New Testament, I think we can summarize it in four things that Paul prioritized. One was preach the gospel. Two was study the word of God. Three devote time to prayer, and four, love others. And that's in no particular order. Those are the things that Paul prioritized. And if we're going to imitate him, then those are the things we should be doing. So what example are we following? If what we do every day is aimed at bringing God glory, then the rest, everything else will fall into place. We should view every decision we make through the lens of God's word and through the example of Paul and ultimately the example of Jesus. It seems like we spend hours upon hours every single day, every single week, worrying about the things of the world. The reality is if we were truly focused on bringing God the glory, we wouldn't have to worry about anything else. We need to look to the examples set by Paul, by the early church, by the apostles. The early church was persecuted for their faith. They cared about one thing, and that was living their life to glorify God. Nothing else mattered. So we should imitate them as they imitate Christ. 
My second point this morning is this, that we should imitate for the benefit of others. Verses 32 and 33 say, Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the Church of God, just as, I, just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. He lists out three groups here. The first two, the Jews and the Gentiles, or the Greeks, depending on your translation, it refers to this idea of evangelism. And the third refers to the church as a whole. But he distinguishes the first two, the Jews and the Gentiles. It shows us that there was still a divide between those two groups of people. And Paul is dealing with those here who tend to treat Jews different than they treat the Gentiles. When we're imitating Christ, we should treat people the way Christ would have treated them. And I know you say, well, that, of course, that goes without saying. But is that really how we're living our lives? That means that every single lost person, regardless of race, regardless of their political stance, regardless of lifestyle, criminal background, gender, whatever it is, there is something that all of us are going to have a tendency to discriminate against, whether we do it on purpose or not. But every single lost person should be treated exactly the same way that Christ would have treated them. Every single human being needs a savior. They need Jesus to rescue them from their sin. Paul specified here because he wanted them to understand that one group wasn't more important than the others. It would be the equivalent of our church simply saying that we only allow one ethnicity in this building but not another. And I know you're thinking Southside is not that way, and praise God that that is not the case at this church. But for some people in here, you may act one way and say one thing, but deep down, you have a hard time sharing the gospel with someone who looks different than you, or that acts different than you, or dare I say it, someone who sins different than you. Everyone deserves a chance to hear the gospel. And we should imitate Paul for their benefit, not for our own. We imitate Christ so that ultimately the lost can be saved. Verse 33 says, Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. Your translation may say, For the benefit of many. Or not for my own advantage. The bottom line, this is not about you. We shouldn't be looking for things to do that will benefit ourselves, but rather that will benefit others. Our focus shouldn't be on bettering ourselves, but growing in our relationship with Christ so that others will see that overflowing from us, so that they can reflect that. There's a series of books gaining popularity recently in Christian circles from multiple different authors, and they all seem to focus on this one thing. It's essentially Christian self-help books. Ideas designed to help benefit ourselves, to build you up, to make you feel good about yourself. We have pastors every Sunday morning standing in pulpits preaching that it's about making you feel good, having your best day. Our goal in life should be to bring glory to God and to lead the lost to salvation. We have to put those preferences aside. We shouldn't be asking, how does this benefit me, but how does it bring Jesus to a lost world? Another thing Paul was addressing here was the idea of setting a bad example that can lead others to sin. So not only are we trying to lead the lost to salvation, but we should be setting an example that helps bring those who are already saved, followers of Christ, closer to Jesus. There's been a common law about these dietary restrictions. That's what Paul's talking about. And 
they argued about what could be eaten and what couldn't. Paul tells the church in earlier verses that what you're eating really doesn't matter if your heart is right with God. However, many still held to that old belief and seeing others eat these certain things, things that they felt were still wrong, it caused them into this walk of sin. It pushed them away. For lack of a better term, it offended them. And Paul is telling them that it really doesn't matter that you can eat it, should you eat it. Verse 23 and 24, if we go back a little bit, Paul says this, everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. We should care about those watching us. Just because you're allowed to do something doesn't mean you should. Paul said it was okay to eat meat offered in a pagan sacrifice, but a fellow believer at the table or a lost person at the table that's highly offended by it, it'd be better just to not eat it. Is it worth it? That's what Paul's trying to tell them here. It's better for you as a believer to be inconvenienced, to be uncomfortable, if it allows someone else the opportunity to be exposed to the gospel. And that carries over into so many things besides just what you eat and what you drink. It has to do with how we walk every day in our lives. Are we reflecting Christ? Are we caring more about the person next to us than we care about ourselves? One of the hardest things for me, and I'm sure many of you can probably relate to this, is that when it comes to doing things God's way, when it's for the benefit of others, I have trouble getting past my own logic. And I think we can all kind of see that to an extent. Let me break that down. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. If it makes sense to us and we can see the outcome, we know where this is going, then we're gladly going to follow. Let's think about traffic laws, everyone's favorite thing in the world. I cannot tell you how many times I've been driving down a road, the speed limit is 45, but I could easily be doing 60 and it's not going to hurt anybody. Just because I think the speed should be 60, just because I want to drive 60, isn't going to stop that cop from giving me a ticket when he pulls me over for doing 15 miles over. The law is still there. When we look at our actions and what makes sense to us, we have a hard time getting, idea, getting past the idea of fairness. Why should I have to change just because the other person looks at this differently than me? Why can't I do something that I know is okay, that I know is permissible, just because it might offend someone else? The problem is that we're focusing inward. We're focusing on ourselves. We care more about us and our personal preferences than we care about the lost coming to know Jesus. We should imitate Christ so that everyone has the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. Whether it makes sense to us or not, whether what God's asking us to do is logical, whether it's convenient or not, we should do it for the benefit of others. As a follower of Jesus, we have an obligation to put our desires aside and focus on what truly matters. And that brings me to my final point this morning, which is this. We should imitate for the future. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. So not only should we be looking at Paul as someone we should imitate, but we should put ourselves in his position. You should live your life in such a way that you are someone to be imitated. 
How great would it be if you could look any person in the eye right now and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Could you honestly do that today? Could you say that? Paul was a human, just as we are, flawed in many ways, but he was able to say to the church at Corinth, imitate me. We have a responsibility to imitate Christ around other believers, around those who don't know Jesus. We have a responsibility to set an example for those who come behind us. I spend the majority of my time with the young people in our church, and reality is outside of the office staff and my wife, and here on Sunday mornings, the majority of my time is spent thinking about or with teenagers and children than probably almost anyone. So much so that a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with a random child's disease that most adults don't get. Some of you may remember that I had hand, foot, mouth disease. Show of hands, who's experienced hand, foot, mouth either as a parent with a child or if you've actually had it? Not too many. It's horrible. It's totally different when you're an adult. And I had doctors looking at me like I was crazy because this is not something that an adult should have. This is a childhood disease. And here I am, children's pastor. Well, that's how much time I spend with kids. I get exposed to these random things. Regardless of that, though, it is true that I spend hours of my week, days, working with this younger generation. And I have fun, and they call me Pastor Sparkles, and I put glitter in my beard, and we have a good time. I joke around with the youth, but at the end of it, I do my best to be someone worth imitating. How can I expect them to grow up and become leaders in our church? to become bold in their faith, to raise godly families one day, if I'm not saved. The church as a whole, and I'm talking about more than just Southside, this is the church at large around this country, around the world. We've done a horrible job of being men and women of God worth imitating. Our kids don't look at us and see Jesus. I was recently at a youth conference, youth pastor conference, and I saw a poll conducted about students who left the church after high school, specifically between the ages of 18 and 22. They stopped attending church. These are kids who attended regularly that no longer attend. 66% of students in that age bracket that leave home to go to college or to trade school or to the workforce, 66% stop attending church. So let's put that into perspective of our youth group. On a Sunday morning, on a good week, when we're blowing and going, we might have 15 students, 15 teenagers. 10 out of those 15, when they leave home, will stop going to church. 10 out of 15, two-thirds of our students are leaving the church. And the top three reasons that, they're give, that was given by these kids that were, well, these, not these kids, these adults that were interviewed, the reason they stopped attending the church, listen to these. The first one's pretty simple. I moved away and I just stopped attending church. Okay? Number two, church members seem judgmental or hypocritical. Number three, I didn't feel connected to the people in my church. And the list goes on. But in that list, one thing that didn't exist was I went to college, I had an atheist professor, and he convinced me I was wrong. That wasn't on the list. The leading reason that we're losing the next generation from the church is because we're doing a poor job of giving them a reason to stay. We're not setting the example. 
Students aren't asking for more programming. They're not saying youth group isn't fun enough. We're losing them because we are not acting like someone worth imitating. These same studies have proven that students and young people who have at least three spiritual leaders in their life, apart from their parents, are three times more likely to stay in the church. There are enough adults at Southside that we could give our students four or even five mentors each. How different would the next generation look if we could give each of our students three adults, mentoring them on a regular basis? Parents, you have your child until they're 18 years old. Are you setting the example? Are you showing them what matters? Do we spend more time doing extracurriculars or are we worshiping together as a family? What example are we setting? Are we setting an example worth imitating? Now these students interviewed, they were considered active in their church. And let's define active for a second. Their definition is they attend church two times a month. In a church like Southside, we meet Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. My math is pretty good. That's 12 times a month that we meet. And these kids that said they were active in church go to two out of 12. What example are we setting? What priorities are we putting before other things? This is where we have come as a society. That everything else comes first. And God and church come second. Now, I'm not going to keep pursuing into this, digging into this uh, statistics that I've got here. If you come back tonight, I'm going to be in here again teaching. Youth, you'll be in here with me. And we're going to talk a little bit more, dig deeper into some of these studies that have been happening. And what we as a church can do to reach and equip our next generation. So there's your commercial for this evening. Come back at 6 o'clock. That study I saw was very eye-opening. So I want you to see more of those stats that I've got. Let's take this another step. What about how we interact and how we imitate Christ in front of our peers? Are we setting an example for fellow believers? Many young Christians, many who have been Christians for most of their lives, still look at those around them for cues on how they should act, how to live a godly life. All Christians should be looking to Jesus for the example, but that doesn't mean that others aren't looking at you. The lost person will be looking at you to see what it means to be a Christian. Are you living a life worth imitating, or do you look just like the rest of the world? Who are you imitating? Are you imitating the world? Maybe a leader from the past that wasn't a very good example. Maybe someone that you hold in very high esteem, but what they're doing isn't reflecting Christ. Are we imitating a political figure, or are you imitating Christ? When you look in the mirror, do you see Jesus? If you don't, then what needs to change? When your children or your grandchildren look at you, do they see Christ? When the young people of this church look at you, do they see Christ? Or do they see a hypocrite, like 32% of those interviewed said? One way at church, and someone completely different behind closed doors. When you walk out those glass walls, are you someone different? Children are very discerning, if you didn't know that. 
You may think you have them fooled, but they know. Can you think of anyone that comes across as two-faced, pretending to be like Jesus, but their actions say something completely different? Well, if you can see it in others, chances are they can see it in you. Jesus said in the book of Matthew that you will know them by their fruit. And the youth can attest that I hound into this on a regular basis. You will know fellow believers by their fruit. You will know lost people by their fruit. If you look at someone who's claiming to be an apple tree, and they're clearly producing oranges, chances are they're not an apple tree. Are you an orange tree claiming to produce apples? You can pretend for a while, but the world can see through it. If you're imitating Christ, then you have absolutely nothing to worry about. We have the word of God. We have Paul's example. We have countless other examples of how we should be living. The future of Christianity, the future generation of leaders, the future of Southern Baptists, the future of Southside Baptist Church, it all comes down to whether or not we as a church, we as individuals, are imitating Christ. So what are you doing to form the future? Can you honestly say, imitate me as I also imitate Christ? Let's pray together.